have the great conviction in our hearts uh, that is needed to help us to get to a point of decision to bring us to that crossroads of choosing uh, which way we'll go. I pray that you would uh, bring that to bear tonight, that you would help us to uh, look back on this evening and be able to rejoice in the fact that we've been here. The time of fellowship has been sweet. The time of singing and and just uh, rejoicing in you has been wonderful. And, Father, now may we uh, feast upon your word. I pray that you'll guide and direct our thoughts and our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter number 12. (coughs) Revelation, chapter 12. And I just want to give a real quick, uh, just by way of remembrance, where we're at now. We had... uh, Seven letters to the seven churches that started off the book of Revelation. After that, we found uh, the seven-sealed book, and each of the seals were opened one at a time, through uh, one through six. And then when the seventh seal was opened, we had seven trumpet judgments. Seven trumpet judgments. Most all of these events have happened now during that first three and a half years of the tribulation period. The seventh trumpet judgment, which begins the third woe that the angel spoke about, we started on last week, and uh, we spoke of um, the uh, the fact that men, even though they were going through some of these very difficult uh, times of uh, the days being shortened, seeking death, not being able to find it, uh, the torment of the scorched earth, the idea that there were uh, many of the animals that were killed and plant life were killed, and now in the uh, trumpet judgments we're seeing a lot of the men of the world are being killed. Um, we find that at the end of all of that, they, they are not so naive as to think that these are just natural um, uh, occurrences. You know, we talk today uh, in the news a lot about uh, natural phenomenons and you know, tonight I think we're, we're expecting some possibility of severe weather here. And tornadoes come through the Midwest and hurricanes are down south and out on the West Coast and up the East Coast and earthquakes or wherever you can't find them and wildfires. And we talk about all these natural things that uh, seem to be uh, uh, troubling our world in the day that we live. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in our lifetime, uh, the increase in frequencies of these things um, and I, I believe personally that it's just, again, God more and more uh, bringing judgment on a sinful world. Um, and uh, the fact that, uh, and I, not to get into a scientific thing, but I, how ev- evolution can think that things are getting better and evolving into things that are better, I don't understand that, when really history tells us that our world is, is declining and has continued to decline uh, in its environment, in its uh, in its weather, in its natural phenomenon that happens, um, they they don't they don't think of these uh, tribulations as natural phenomenon. They know, and this is the appalling thing: they know that these are coming from God, and yet at the, in the understanding of this, they still refuse to turn to Christ. They, they get bitter and they get angry and defiant and they would rather die than give up the way that they are living. By the way, we are rapidly approaching and really are already at the, at the border of this, at the fringe of this, at the precipice, if you will, 
of this happening where we're living in a society today that, to be real honest with you, if we could have God Himself appear and, and show Himself to this world and people know the truth of this book to be right, they would still choose to die rather than to change the way that they're living. It's amazing the world that we're living in. People who finally will come to realization, okay, I do believe there's a God, but I'm still not going to turn to Him. And I told you last Sunday about the two different occasions last week that I found. that One of them was by hearing about it. One of them was a picture that was sent to me that both of them dealt with the idea that we don't care what the Bible says. And that was their mindset. It used to be that they were just ignorant of Scripture. Then it was the fact that they didn't really like Scripture. Now they are defiant against Scripture. And we're living in those days where we can easily see Something like the tribulation period happening and men understanding it being the judgment of God and still not willing to repent and still not willing to uh, turn to Christ. And um, by the way, we as Christians can relate somewhat to that in some areas of our life, can't we? Because there are things that we know to be right and to be contrary to God's Word, and yet we still don't turn from them. We still enjoy the the pleasure of them more than we're willing to give up for it. And so before we're too harshly critical on these folks, I think first we need to look inwardly and find out, is my heart this way? And uh, But it is certainly appalling as we come and understand these things. In uh, chapter 10 and chapter number 11, there's kind of a pause right before the seventh uh, trumpet judgment. And uh, we find here uh, several things that happen. Uh, but one of the, the, the big things is the appearance of the two witnesses and then a very broad, very general, uh, I mean, they talk about it in one chapter. They talk about the events that are getting ready to happen in chapters 12 through chapter 19. And uh, it, in chapter 12 through 19, we're going to go back now uh, and go through really what was told about in chapter 11. We're going to go back now in minute detail in granular detail, and, and see uh, how these events that were spoken of in chapter 11 transpire. So we find uh, the two witnesses. We find great, great tribulation. These men are able to uh, bring pestilence on the world. They're able to uh, kill people by way of judgment. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact, and Brother Harold brought this to my attention the other day, uh, they get to breathe fire out of their mouth. And, uh, you know, this idea of fire coming out of their mouth to devour these these folks that are against them. And uh, that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. Have uh, you ever noticed this? I, I don't want to just get on a soapbox issue tonight, but I want to mention this. I'm going to hit it, and then we're going to go. Have you noticed how much uh, television, media, has desensitized us to things that ought to be atrocious and appalling to us? And when we read in Revelation some of these things, we're not amazed by them anymore. Because we've been so desensitized by what we've seen. And I look at that and I think, I believe that's one of the great tools that Satan is using to prepare now the hearts of men to get them to where they will not be amazed when these things show up. And it will lead to their ability to be defiant towards God, even though they see the judging hand of God. So we find these two witnesses and uh, what their purpose is here on this earth. Um, they are. Uh, <clears throat> they are supposed to prophesy for three and a half years, so they're going to be here during the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. 
they're going to be immune to death during that time period until it's time for them to die. Men will try to kill them and they won't be able to. Once uh, they get to the end of their ministry and the time that God has for them here, God's going to ha- allow the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit, He's going to allow them, uh, allow the beast to kill them. They're going to lie in the streets for three days, and the Bible says they're going to be seen by every man uh, in the world. They're going to be able to see them for three days. Uh, and then after three days, they're going to rise from the dead. And uh, when they're resurrected from the dead, there's going to be a couple things that take place here. Uh, there's going to be a great earthquake. And uh, the city of Jerusalem, who has been overrun by the ungodly, the, the, of course, the Antichrist has been in power and has set himself up there uh, to rule from. Uh, there's going to be a great earthquake. 7,000 people, or a tenth of the city, and it said 70,000 men were in there. So that would be about 7,000 people are going to be killed uh, in just one quick uh, moment of an earthquake. And uh, then there's going to be finally, finally, some recognition from those who survive uh, that this is of God. They still are not worshiping Him as God, but they are recognizing Him as God. And by the way, the Bible says this, does it not, that every knee shall bow? That does not mean that they're going to worship Him as God, but they're going to bow in, in the honor of who He is. There are still going to be those that are lost who will still bow a knee, not so much in worship, but in subjection to His judgment. And uh, understand this, that when this remnant that's spoken of here uh, is dealing with uh, the fact that they give glory to the God of heaven, does not mean that they're worshiping Him. It's just mean they're acknowledging Him as the source of these things. So the seventh trumpet begins in chapter 11 and verse number 14 and following, uh, down through the end of the chapter. We started dealing a little bit with that last week and uh, got through to the end of the chapter as we dealt with the temple that is not uh, on earth, but the temple that is in heaven. And uh, the fact that there have been two temples already, there will be a third temple that will be here uh, during the tribulation period. It will either be erected shortly before or soon after the rapture uh, because the Antichrist will set himself up there. And the Bible speaks of the fact that he will set himself uh, in the holy place uh, of the temple. And so uh, the temple will have to be built again. That will be destroyed at the end of uh, the tribulation period. And a fourth temple will be built during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we will worship him in his temple. And then finally there will be the temple in heaven uh, that is there for eternity. And uh, it's the one that is referred to in the book of Hebrews as one that was not made with hands and is already in existence in heaven. And the ones that we've had here on earth have simply been a shadow or a pattern of the one that is in heaven. Uh, So we talked a little bit about that last week and how that before Christ died on the cross, there were some practices of worship in the Old Testament that were given to the nation of Israel in order for them to uh, express their worship and to have... Uh, uh, the atonement of the sacrifice applied to them by faith. Their faith was still what saved them. Uh, Their faith by uh, doing the sacrifice and putting their faith in the fact that there was going to come a Messiah who was going to uh, be able to once and for all pay the uh, sin of man. And uh, that we are no longer to follow those practices. We spent a good deal of time on that last week. And what are we supposed to do now? Are there some things that we're supposed to do in place of those Old Testament practices? And we found that there were. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 22 speaks to that. 
that this is now in the New Testament, now that the veil has been rent in twain, now that we have been reconciled with God, now there are some things that we are supposed to do that take the place of the Old Testament practices that we don't have to do any longer. And that was to draw near to God, to have full assurance of our faith, to have a heart that was sensitive and a conscience toward evil, to live with purity in our bodies, to hold fast our profession of faith without wavering, to provoke one another unto love and to good works, and to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and to exhort one another to love and to good works. And these are now the New Testament ways that we are to worship God and we're to express our, our worship to Him. Uh, these are the good works that God speaks of that ought to be produced in a Christian's life, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. They're the fruit of our salvation. Uh, then that brings us to chapter 12, which is where we're going to go tonight, and we'll just uh, get into it fairly, fairly briefly. In chapter 4 through chapter 11, we find the first half of the, the first three and a half years of the tribulation dealt with, and primarily you find it dealing with specific events. This event happens, and then when that's done, this event happens, and then when that's done, this event happens. From chapter 12 through chapter 19, it changes in its perspective, and it no longer deals specifically with events. There will be some events, but it's not primarily focused on the events. It's more focused on specific characters that are, that are uh, major characters that play a part in this last three and a half years. And so we're going to take a look at these. Uh, there are seven major characters that we're going to look at uh, in chapter 12 through chapter 19. The first one is the sun-clothed woman. Uh, we find her in the first few verses of chapter number 12. The second one is the dragon, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about him tonight, Lord willing, if we get that far. The third is the man-child. The fourth is the archangel. The fifth is the Jewish remnant. The sixth is the beast out of the sea. And the seventh is the beast out of the earth. And again, I'll have these notes printed up for you. Uh, so if you didn't get all those, uh, you can either go back and re-listen to the audio tonight or the video tonight, or you can look at the notes and we'll have those available to you. But these are the seven characters, primarily, that we will be dealing with from now until we get towards the end of uh, the book of Revelation. Let's start in chapter 12 and verse number 1, and we'll jump into these and see if we can't make some sense out of some of this. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, right here at the very beginning of chapter 12, the seventh trumpet is now sounded. 
We have seen uh, the proclamation that God is now taking back the, the rightful authority He has to rule and to reign uh, over heaven and earth. He always has had that right and that authority. And while He has allowed Satan to have some dominion in the earth over these last several thousands of years, God has retained the ownership of the earth. God is still the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, and everything that He made belongs to Him. And we need to understand that. And so that was spoken of at the end of chapter 11. And people began to sing praises about this and were excited about it. And as we get to chapter number 12, we find that there is something that John sees here. And the first thing he sees is a woman who's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, as best we can understand, this is referring to the nation of Israel. And if we can think of it in terms of the nation of Israel, it will make better sense to us as we read down and see what it says about this woman. There's a couple reasons why uh, we believe that it is referring to Israel as a whole. Uh, hold your place here for a moment. Look with me in Genesis chapter number 37. Genesis chapter number 37. Uh, one of the reasons why, and, and again, we're not going to give you one reason and then say that's the only reason we have. We're going to give you multiple reasons from Scripture and try to undergird the the uh, the truth of this fact that it is referring here to the nation of Israel. But uh, Genesis chapter number 37, let's look down at verse number 9. This is in reference to the story <clears throat> that Joseph had, the vision that Joseph had uh, with regards to his brothers. And uh, in verse number 9, the Bible says, And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he was told his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is the stream thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down to ourselves, uh, bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And so here in Genesis chapter 37, we do find, and, and there are uh, uh, several other places where it alludes to this, that the nation of Israel, of course, the brothers of Joseph were the ones that made up the tribes of Israel, uh, for the most part, and. Uh, that they are referred to here in this particular dream as uh, stars. So heavenly bodies, different things of that nature. So it is not uh, out of the question to refer to Israel here uh, as a woman who is clothed with the sun uh, and has uh, the moon under her feet uh, and uh, has a crown of 12 stars. That's not an unusual reference if it is indeed referring to the nation of Israel. Uh, the other thing is that na the Israel nation is repeatedly throughout the, the Scriptures referred to or compared to a woman. Uh, let's look in Isaiah chapter number 54. Isaiah chapter number 54. And uh, let's look in verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 1. Sing, O barren, thou, have, uh, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Again, a reference to a woman here who's not able to have children. And then also a reference to being a married wife. Turn to Isaiah chapter number 47. Just back a few chapters. Isaiah chapter 47. And verse number 7. And thou saidest, I shall be a lady forever. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now that, uh, this, thou that art given to pleasures, that dwellest carelessly, 
that saith in thy heart, I am, and none else beside me, I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. And so again, in reference to the nation of Israel, being referred to here, not only as a woman, but also as a widow. Um, then we find in Isaiah chapter number 50, uh, just over a couple chapters, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgression is your mother put away. And so again, referring here to the nation of Israel, uh, not only being a, a wife, but a divorced woman uh, in this particular uh, reference. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter number 3. In Jeremiah chapter number 3 and verse number 1. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? For thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Um, This was a law that had been made in the Old Testament that if a uh, woman left her husband and committed adultery, that she was not to return back to her husband and remarry him, uh, that that was an abomination. God said that's the law. He said, and he refers again here to Israel being his wife, that she had played the harlot with other nations and other gods, that he had given her a bill of divorcement. He said, I know that this is what the law says, but I'm still telling you I want you to come back to me anyway. And again, showing His long-suffering and His graciousness. You say, well, isn't God uh, breaking the Old Testament law there? God wrote the law, and so God can change the law as He sees fit. Uh, He's the only one who can do so without violating it. Uh, Since He is the lawgiver, He has that right. Uh, You and I, on the other hand, do not have that right. Okay? Um, Let's look in um, Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. And now let's look in verse number 4. <clears throat> Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and of whom, uh, as concerning the flesh, Christ came? Who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So it's referring here to Israel being the one that God used to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in this particular case, Israel is pictured as having the child of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's also look in Isaiah chapter number 9. We're going to find a very similar reference here to the fact that Israel is the one that is to bring forth the child uh, that is to be here for the redemption of man. Isaiah chapter number 9, let's look in verse number 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever uh, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And uh, understand that to the nation of Israel... To the nation of Israel, the coming of the Messiah pictures the fact that He is going to rule over all the nations. 
And in Israel's eyes, Christ's coming, or the coming of the Messiah, which is what they are, some of them are still looking for, because they don't believe Christ was the Messiah, that in their eyes what they're looking for is a king to come and reign over not only them, but the whole world. And that's, that's their view of it. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 12, and let's see what it says here. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. It's interesting. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve stars. And, um, and she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. There's no doubt that Israel went through years, hundreds of years of affliction and persecution before God could bring her to the position of being able to bring forth the Savior of man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice about this, this dragon for a minute. We're going to, it's still in reference to the sun-clothed woman, because this is tied to it. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a red, great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, notice this, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So this is no doubt in reference to Satan himself. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He does not know everything. And he does not have foreknowledge other than the prophecy that you and I have in Scripture. He does not know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be born, and yet how many times do we find in history that when it seemed like the man, the man of the Lord, the the Son of God could be born, the Redeemer of man could be born, Satan went out of his way to try to kill all the infant boys. One of those opportune times that I think Satan thought it was that time was the time of the Israelites and Moses, how that uh, Pharaoh he put in the heart of Pharaoh to kill all the infants two years of age and younger. And, uh, of course, you know, most people say, well, that was because Pharaoh was scared and Israel was becoming more powerful. But understand, the heart of Pharaoh was controlled by Satan. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he was demon-possessed at, at the best uh, and was really be- doing be- the beckoning at his will. And I would not at all doubt, based on this particular prophecy, that Satan knew that there could be at that time, the Lord Jesus Christ born. And he was trying to put him uh, to death before he could even really come to bear. As soon as the child was born, he wanted to devour it, to destroy it. We find the same thing happen when Mary does bear Christ, don't we? Herod hears about it from the wise men. And he tells, uh, he puts out a decree that all the children, all the male children to be killed. And God saves them by allowing them to flee to Egypt, which I believe is a prophetic picture of what's going to happen even here in the end times. Notice what it says here in verse number 5. And she, speaking of this this woman who's clothed with the sun, she brought forth a man-child. Notice this. This man-child is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself because it says this, who was to rule what? All nations with the rod of iron. That's what Israel's looking for, isn't it? And by the way, that's what He will do when he sets up his reign for the thousand years after the tribulation, for the millennial reign, he will rule and reign all the nations of the world. And will rule and reign with him. And uh, so she brings forth this man-child who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. 
So Christ was born. Uh, Satan thought he had won, putting him to death on the cross. Little did he know that that was all part of God's plan. Christ rises from the dead, goes and ascends to His Father in heaven, and is still seated there and intercedes for us. Notice what it says here in verse number 6. We're going to kind of switch gears here uh, because there's a break between chapter five or verse number 5 and cha- verse number 6. I'm going to explain that to you here in just a second. I like how, how neatly the Bible fits together. But we're going to see a, a, a jump in a, in a gap here of time. Because we're dealing in verse 5 with Christ being ascended to the Father. In verse 6, notice what it says, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there, how long? A thousand two hundred and three score days. That's how long? A Jewish calendar. Three, three and a half years, okay? This is the last half of the tribulation period. Christ ascended... 2,000 some years ago. Them having to flee, the nation of Israel having to flee to the wilderness to escape the, the persecution of the Antichrist and Satan has not yet happened. There's a large gap here. That gap is spoken of in Daniel. If you'll remember when Daniel's prophecy, we started the whole prophecy study on this, Daniel gave a prophecy, or received a prophecy from God of 70 weeks. Sixty-nine of those weeks, prophetic weeks are years, so it would be seven, sixty-nine seven-year periods, to the day from the time he got the prophecy to the day was the day that Christ rode into Jerusalem uh, on Palm Sunday before his crucifixion. Then from the time that Christ died until the present day, God has ceased dealing with Israel. Now, are working through Israel to accomplish His work. They are still His chosen people. There are some guys out there, that will, uh, they call it replacement theology. They say that the church, our local churches now, have replaced Israel, and we are now God's chosen people. That is not the case. God is not through with Israel. We find it here in verse number 6. Because at the, at the middle of the tribulation period, when, when the Antichrist does something, and we're going to see it uh, very clearly here in, in the next few chapters, he, he commits an abomination in the temple called the abomination of desolation. He's, uh, he, he sacrifices um, a pig on the altar uh, in the temple, and it desecrates the temple. It desecrates the worship of Israel uh, with God. And so uh, they, they, they decide they're going to, this isn't who they thought it was. They're going, to, they're going to reject the Antichrist. And he's going to get angry over all of this. You're going to see it here in just a minute. He's going to get real angry about this, and he's going to, his rage is going to be so great that he's going to step up the persecution of God's people, both the Israelites and those that name the name of Christ. And the Great Tribulation is what's referred to as the last half, because there's greater persecution in those years than there were in the first part of the Tribulation. And so this Great Tribulation is coming. And this is the time that the Bible is speaking of here in verse 6. There, have been, uh, there has been a period of time where God has not worked through Israel yet, but it is at this moment where God brings Israel back into the picture. And now from this point forward, he's under their, uh, Israel is under His protection. And uh, even though they're going to go through some tribulation, He's going to make sure that there's always a remnant there that is protected from Him. He says here in verse 6 that this woman fled into the wilderness... 
where she hath a place, notice this, prepared of God. Now there's some speculation, some people who wonder what this place is. There are a couple of um, places out in the desert where it's already spoken of that if things go crazy, this is where they would flee to defend themselves. But understand that God has prepared a place. So men can talk about this place or that place. It's a place that God prepared. And that's all we need to know. That Israel is going to be able to flee to. And there they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score. Now when this happens, verse number 7, And there was a war in heaven. This is, this is good stuff here. There was a war in heaven. If you want to find out about it, you have to come back next Wednesday night. It gets exciting next week. We're going to talk about some things that are, that are great, great truths next week. So don't miss it. How many of you were like on the edge of your seat ready for that? Yeah, okay. It is already well after eight. So um, I will promise you this. If we're still here and the rapture has not happened, uh, and I am able to be here and speak, uh, it's, 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 well, there's some really good stuff next week. All right? So it's, it's starting to get exciting here as we see God starting to work now again with Israel. And, um, boy, some really good things are going to be shown here. I love seeing the might and the power of God. And especially when it makes Satan look so foolish. Satan, for all these years, and even some people look to Satan and say, well, he's this very, very powerful being. And, and in comparison to us, he is. But in comparison to God, he is nothing. He really isn't. God doesn't even have to exert strength on Satan. And we're going to look at some of this next week, and don't miss it. It'll be very good. All right, let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. I pray that you'll bless it and use it. And, Lord, we are looking forward to learning about Michael and the battle in heaven. And, Lord, as we look to these things, I pray that you'd help us to learn from them the things that you would want us to. Lord, may we understand and learn some things from prophecy that will convict us about the urgency of the day that we live. Lord, as we 